Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Welcome back to MHR Radio, Mile High Report Radio Podcast. Adam Alnati, Ian St. Clair. A special edition of the Mile High Report Radio Podcast because we are, because we're recording after taking a week off. Um, some people were a little disappointed that we took the week off, Ian, and all I can say to that is it was your fault. Totally was. Throw all the blame at me. That's, that's what I do. Anytime something goes wrong, ah, Ian... How dare you? He just it's, does. it's just the way things are. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to start off the show this week with uh, just a quick tribute to a guy who um, passed away a couple weeks ago now. Uh, and we didn't get a chance to do it last week, obviously, because we did take the week off. But Irv Brown uh, of Denver Media Sports Media fame passed away last week. Um, and it was one of those things where... Uh, I, I took notice. Uh, a lot of people who are in the Denver media, especially Denver sports media arena, took notice of the fact that he had passed away. He is a not just a, a, a Denver sports media icon, but really sort of a Denver icon, um, just in sort of what he has meant to Denver and the state of Colorado and really uh, sort of the, the broader Mar- Rocky Mountain market. He basically... 
was Denver Sports Radio. He's the reason it is the way it is. Him and his partnership with Joe Williams, the hitman, was and is the creme de la creme of sports talk radio in Denver. And the rapport that they had between the two of them was what drew people back to them because you had the calming influence with Irv and then Joe with his Elway takes. Yeah, they were bad. His Elway takes were bad. You know, it's funny because you, you make mention of, of Joe. You know, Irvin Joe wasn't Irvin Joe to start. It was Irv. And, and my dad was telling me this. So the old man was telling me that it used to just be Irv's show. And Joe Williams was just a, a real estate agent who was who would call in. And eventually it turned into to the sports talk show that was on uh, for, for more than 25 years uh, in Denver, uh, Irvin, Irvin Joe, which, I mean, the Irvin Joe show was one of those things that I remember listening to it in the, in the car, driving around, going from, you know, one event to the next with my dad. Uh, and it was one of those, it was just one of those things that was Irvin Joe. You know what they're doing. You're listening to, you know, when they were back on the fan, you know, eight, what was it, AM 950 for a while, and then 104.3 the fan, and then they ended up uh, moving over to um, Mile High Sports Radio. You know, it, it's, uh, it was a, a sad thing to hear, but it's just sort of crazy to, to see some of the things. And, and for those of you who, who maybe don't know, some of, the, some of the things that Irv Brown did, you know, a North Denver guy who graduated from North High, uh, he, he went to the University of Northern Colorado um, as, a, as a basketball and baseball player. He coached at the University of Colorado, coached uh, high, uh, college baseball for a little while. Uh, he's got a great line in here that uh, – uh, in, in Terry Fry's column in the Tribune in Greeley uh, about uh, his time as the CU baseball coach. He said, I made CU baseball what it is today, extinct, which is, uh, you know, just hilarious uh, that he was willing to sort of, <laughs> you know, be a little self-deprecating there. But his he's a sports icon in, in Denver, and it's one of those things where you can't look at the history of sports media in Denver and not see – Herb Brown. Just like Pat Bowen with the NFL, where the NFL exploding into the, con- the conglomerate that it is today, Pat Bowen had his fingers in all of that. Herb Brown had his fingers all over the Denver and Colorado sports scene for over 40 years whether it was as a coach, as a referee, as a radio personality. He knew everybody. He remembered everybody, had a story about everybody. That's what made Irv so special. And I think you got a glimpse of it on social media with the way all the Denver uh, sports personalities, the media people, the older ones, the newer ones. But then you got it at the first Nuggets game after his passing and they gave tribute to him at the Pepsi center on the big video board. And I just, I thought that was a touching moment and it showed how impactful Irv Brown was to the Denver sports scene. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and to, to kind of go back to, to Terry Fry's article, you know, if you get a chance to read it uh, on the tribune, I, I would say take the time to do that because it, it really shows, like Ian just said, 
how he sort of had his fingers in all of of the Denver area sports. I mean, a baseball coach at CU and Metro State. He was a basketball coach. He was, I believe, he refereed one of the Final Fours in Denver, if I'm not mistaken. I, I mean, he did. He was he was a referee, one of the best. If you uh, talk to people about him as a referee, it's just it's incredible what he did for Denver sports. And it's, you know, it's just a, an opportunity for us to kind of pay tribute. Obviously, we are, uh, you know, people who grew up in the Colorado area. It both grew up in Greeley. And, you know, Irvin Joe was a show that was was on the air that that, that I listened to. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to say I was a, a huge fan of, of them, at, you know, when I was a little kid, because I think when I was younger, I was kind of hoping to listen to some music in the car. But, you know, dad was the one in charge of the radio. So that's what we listened to. And, uh, it was worth it, uh, looking back on it now, to kind of be able to say, you know, I, I listened to this guy who was kind of a, a not to not to steal from Ron Burgundy, but he was kind of a big deal, and he was a big deal, absolutely. And so, speaking of big deals, you brought this up, and and, and I think I'll, I'll let you kind of lead into it. When you think about Denver sports media. And you think about some of those names and you think about, you know, with the passing of, of Irv Brown, who are some of those guys that are um, instrumental, influential, big names? I think you called it the Mount Rushmore of Denver sports media. Uh, and you brought up some really some really great names. And, I, I you know, I said immediately, well, Irv Brown has to be on there. But who are some of the other names that you that you thought of? So it, it's no particular order. I'm just going to list the names that came to mind that. I threw out before we started recording. I think one name, I mean, three of them are Broncos announcers, Bob Martin, Larry Zimmer, Dave Logan. I think you could realistically make an argument for all three of those guys being on the Mount Rushmore of Denver and Colorado media, sports media. Obviously, Irv Brown, Ron Zapolo, longtime uh, television sports anchor did Broncos preseason games. And I think he should do them again, please. Woody page. I think that just goes without saying, doesn't it? I mean, Woody page is a, is a, a fixture. He's, isn't he a fixture in, in the bars in Denver? I mean, he's just, <laughs> then he's a fixture on the pages of the Denver post. Absolutely. And, and he's a fixture now on ESPN. He sort of obviously branched out, but I, I mean, Woody Page was Denver sports as far as the writing goes for a, for a long time. National media looked to, to Woody Page, and, and clearly they still do as he is one of those national media guys still. So, yeah, Woody Page is sort of an obvious uh, choice as well. Les Shapiro. Yeah. Then this one kind of caught you by surprise a little bit. Drew Goodman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously he's been he's been around forever. I don't know if I would put him on my Mount Rushmore though. That's a tough one. That's see, when you start. You know, when you start to do these lists and you start to talk about, oh, you get four guys, right? You're gonna put four guys up there. Does Drew Goodman really land on the list? So, so what are some of the things he's done in Denver sports media? He's done the Rockies, Rockies since yeah. the since I, I think around at least the late 90s, early 2000. And before that, he did Nuggets. 
You know, it's interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement here, and it's more of one about how old I am than anything else. I don't think of like the early 2000s as being long ago enough to have had a long enough time to do something. But the truth is, like, if you started doing something in 2002, you've now been doing it for 17 years. And that feels like a long time to me. <laughs> so I don't I don't like how old I am. Well, I started covering the Broncos in 2004. I know. I You know, I forget that it was that long ago, again, because I still think that I'm just, you know, some young, you know, 15-year-old kid half the time, which I am clearly not. My wife would think would say that I still act like a 15-year-old kid. I, I mean, humor is humor. That's not fair. Your 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 humor is the same as a 15-year-old kid as is everybody else's. If you don't laugh at 15-year-old kid jokes, it's because you have no sense of humor. But I digress. And now here is a couple of other names that I'll throw out. Irv Moss, who was actually a sports writer at the Denver Post longer than Woody Page was at the Denver Post. His, his run was 50 years before he retired. That is insane. <laughs> Does he know? That's a long time. That's a guy who, you yeah, Irv Moss is a guy you could consider as being up there, right? He's, he might You might put him on the Mount Rushmore. Sandy Clough. Yeah, Sandy's been around for a long time. I know uh, my mom would not like it because she absolutely hated listening to him on Bronco Talk on KOA after Broncos games in the 80s. Sure. But he still gets to go up there because of how long he's been around and things like that. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's a good list. It, I can't really think of. There's two more. Terry yeah. Fry. Yeah. Who I just, he, I mean, I clearly was just looking at his article about Irv Brown, so that makes sense. Well, to give you an idea of how long Terry Fry has been around, he actually covered the Colorado Rockies when they were a hockey team. <laughs> that's not that long ago. Stop making me feel old. <laughs> And then Tracy Ringlesby, who is actually in the Baseball Hall of Fame as a writer. Which, I mean, uh, that says a lot as well. It's just kind of an interesting argument. I think when we started talking about it, I sort of had sort of my immediate four. And then obviously you start to sort of throw out names and and how long guys have been doing things. and, And you start to realize that limiting it to four may not be fair. Not that they should put more presidents on Mount Rushmore, but just that limiting it to four when it comes to something like this doesn't really work. I think two are locks on the Mount Rushmore for Denver sports media, Irv Brown and Woody Page. I think the argument is then, who are the other two? Well, interestingly enough, with Irv Brown, you've got radio. And with Woody Page, what you really have is print media. Um, I, you could count what he's done on TV recently, but I, that's more national than local. And so then what you can do is you can say, okay, well, who is, who's your TV guy, right? You got your radio guy, you got your print guy, who's your TV guy? And to me, you're going to go either Les Shapiro or Ron Zapolo. It depends. Do you like mustaches or do you not like mustaches? And you can't go wrong either way because both are, <laughs> Notice, are hugely influential. Notice I didn't make a choice. I just asked if you like or dislike mustaches. I wasn't going to make a choice there. I didn't. I don't know that I want to have to do that. And then I think the fourth one comes down to which era of Broncos fan are you? Are you the old man who grew up with Bob Martin? Or are you our generation who grew up with Larry Zimmer? Or are you the more recent generation 
with Dave Logan. Well, don't we get Dave Logan too? Well, I'm, we do because, I mean, but he, but yeah, you, you get my point. I do, I do get your our, point. Our generation had both Larry Zimmer and Dave Logan. We did. We, you know what? The we young, the, the the younger just has Dave Logan. Right. We're so lucky that we had both. Right. We can we we've spanned different generations. It's exciting. Um, personally, for me on that one, the the fourth guy up there for me is Dave Logan. And I think that's where I would go to just because of also what Dave Logan did as an athlete. He was a three, a three sport star. He was drafted in all three professional sports. For those who don't know, Dave Logan was drafted into the NBA, drafted into major league baseball, drafted into the NFL. That's how good of an athlete Dave Logan was. Dave Logan was really the Dave Winfield of his time at the same time and not as good as Dave Winfield, but pretty good. Just played a different sport because, you know, they played around the same era. That's an interesting one. I actually didn't know that. When you say that, I feel like I did know it, but I didn't know it. One of those things where you said it and I go, yeah, I think I remember that, but it wasn't the first thing in my mind. And that's really unfair to Dave Logan if you think about it because he really was a pretty good wide receiver. He was a good athlete. He was a good football player. And to have been drafted in all three major professional sports, I mean, that they should put that on your gravestone, and it's, you sh- there should be like a Hall of Fame for those guys. I want to know why he wasn't drafted into the NHL. Because people in Colorado didn't play hockey. Well, he still should have been drafted into the NHL. And somebody should have drafted him, just been like, this guy's clearly good. We'll throw some skates on him and see what happens. I don't think that's how it works. It just, still would have been cool. Just guessing. like As somebody who has put on ice skates a couple of times and not been very good any of those times, uh, let me tell you, it's not easy. Now, a good segue from the Mount Rushmore of Denver sports media is into a column Woody Page wrote over the weekend with an exclusive interview that he did with Broncos head coach Vic Fangio. And there are a lot of good quotes and nuggets in this column if you haven't read it it's on the gazette.com i tweeted it out mile high report quote tweeted the gazette sports who tweeted it woody obviously tweeted it vic lombardi tweeted it if you haven't read it read Read it it. i mean it, it if you weren't excited about vic fangio before this column and both of us were very excited about the hiring of Vic Fangio Absolutely. and the subsequent staff that he's brought on since he's been the head coach. This will get you even more fired up. And before I just get into some of the quotes, Woody leads off by talking about how Bill Belichick basically took the game plan that Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel, and the Bears used against the Rams to shut them down in Chicago. And while that's exciting, the reason that it should make Broncos fans really, really excited is what that means to slowing down Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. To me, that's what got me most excited. And what got me most excited from the championship games in the AFC and the NFC to the Super Bowl was what Bill Belichick and the Patriots did against the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to remind our listeners that Bill Belichick and the Patriots held Tyreek Hill to one catch. Just just the one. 
one catch. The Patriots don't have a cornerback like Chris Harris Jr. They don't have two edge rushers like Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller. They now have a game plan of how to slow down and potentially stop the Kansas City Chiefs. That's something that should get Broncos fans extremely excited about Vic Fangio. Well, and can I just add a little caveat to that? Remember, the Broncos played both the Rams and the Chiefs, obviously the Chiefs, but also the Rams last year. And with what I would consider to be a lesser defensive coordinator and a lesser head coach, more than likely, um, they really did hold the Rams in check and the Chiefs in check. You know, it's one of those things where they were they were one bad pass away. The Broncos were from beating the Chiefs on Monday night, and they were they were able to really slow down that Rams offense. And so, imagine having a guy who can scheme in in a way that Vic Fangio can scheme. Imagine what they can do now. I I, I think that the the pieces are there, and now what you have is is the the guy who just like you said, and just like you've been saying the guy who can kind of take those pieces and put them in the right place to be successful. The other big quote, there's a couple of quotes, but there's one that has stood out to me. And I I mentioned this when we did uh, our our podcast after Vangio was hired. And the thing that stood out to me as the son of a teacher is how much he loves teaching, how much he loves teaching to teach and to get the basics, to have them learn and improve the little things. Because when you do the little things, that's what that that's what leads to the big things. And this quote really stood out to me. It's what I used in my quote to send out the column. What's my goal? Fangio asked himself. Obviously, everybody wants to win Super Bowls. But I get a real kick out of seeing players improve and teaching all the little things. I, we, defensive cho- defensive coaches I've been with have been successful with players who were drafted high, and it didn't work out for them with that team. We've gotten them and turned them their careers around. I look forward to coaching the low-drafted, undrafted young men. I like the relationships with the players. I'm not a guy who gets buddy-buddy with a player. I'm not going to chest bump a player, and I don't think I will here. But maybe someday I'll get excited and do it. But my approach with the players lasts a long time. One of the most gratifying things about getting this job was getting phone calls and texts from players going back to the 1980s. I've had a great relationship with players without being their buddies. That means a lot to me that they still care. I think that that comment says it all about Vic Fangio and reiterates why I was so excited about him being the next head coach for this football team. Well, and the the thing that you talked about with the teaching and and then the way he talks about his relationships with with former players, I think that the teachers if you look if 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 you look back on your history in education, the teachers that you remember the most or had the most respect for weren't the ones who were high-fiving you all the time and telling you how great you were and, and being your buddy in the hallways. It was the teachers who were willing to call you out 
on your BS, right? The teachers who were willing to to tell you that you can do better, to force you to look at yourself and say, uh, you know, this isn't my best. I can I can improve here. I can improve there. And you have a lot of respect for those people. And you and you can see that in Vic Fangio that he takes pride in the fact that you may not, as one of his players, love him as a, a friend, but you will respect him as a teacher and you will respect him as a coach because you know that what he wants is what is best for you and he wants to get the best out of you and i think that's what makes great teachers great and i think that i think that's what makes great coaches great is that it's not about being a buddy of the guys in the locker room and and i think as fans of the broncos right now that is something that was an issue with the last coaching regime is that they were more concerned about how you know how the players felt about them for a long time and then by the time they started to change that at the end it was too late there was no going back. And you saw that with the way that, you know, the Vance Joseph Von Miller sort of rift with the whole penalties and the offsides and the whatnot. I don't think you would see that with a guy like Vic Fangio because he would already have worked to gain the respect of a player like Von Miller and the other defensive players so that if he were to say something, it wouldn't be a shock and it probably wouldn't be in the media anyway. So that's something that. For me, that, that gets me excited because you know that he's going to be somebody who, who brings that mentality of, I'm going to get the best out of these guys. I'm going to show them that they can be better. I'm going to do those things, and I'm not going to do it by telling them how great they are. I'm going to do it by by just being a great teacher and and demanding them and demanding that they do better for themselves. And that, that to me, is huge. I think the other aspect of a great teacher is the time and the effort. When you put in the time and the effort – the people you're teaching are going to put in the time and the effort, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's on the football field. And I, I think that's one thing that's been lacking the last two years. And I don't want to get into a ripping of Vance Joseph's situation, but when you hear the buddy-buddy thing, that was the biggest knock on Vance Joseph is that everyone thought and saw and perceived that he wanted the players to, to like him, to be their buddy not be their coach, not be their leader. And I go back to the whole leader of men thing. When you have to put the leader of men on somebody before they've ever been a leader of men, they're not a leader of men. And then the last big quote that I will that I took away from this column from Woody from Woody Page is he asked, "Will you be as patient as Broncos head coach?" Woody writes, Vic paused for several seconds. That's a difficult question. If I say I'm going to be patient, you and everybody else will think I'm going to make some knee-jerk short-term decisions that won't have long-term benefits. What we've got to do, I believe, is let's go out there and evaluate this team, find out where we need help, make some good choices for the future, not just for today, if I'm making sense. I'm not looking to go four and twelve or five and eleven, thinking that we're we're rebuilding, but we must realize that two years from now, three years, that what we did in the 2019 season was why we are at that point. We have to establish a work ethic in the players, and work very hard in the acquisitions of players in the draft and free agency. Here's what happened to the Bears before I got there. What they were doing was putting band-aids on every little problem, 
hoping they would be a good team the next year. By the time we got there, they sucked. They were old, no young talent, no nothing. I've coached on two expansion teams in Carolina and with the Texans, and our roster on defense when I was hired was worse than those expansion team defenses. We can't let that happen here. We can't do everything just to get to 8-8 eight and eight now and be 3-13 and 13 in 2021. Does that mean that we won't get a veteran in free agency that will help us for a year or two? We can do that, but we can't go and throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. And Woody emphasized stuff in quotation marks, which is another reason you have to love Vic Fangio. Yeah, because he's he's uh he's willing to he he'd make this podcast explicit. I suppose I'd have to click the little e if if uh, if we uh, if we had him on. Which if you'd like to come on, that's that's perfectly fine. I think the thing that you're seeing and and I, this this is important is that with Vic Fangio, you don't have a guy who's just going to plop it out there and expect it to perform. Whoa, you snuck that one in there. You didn't see it coming. That was, that was really good. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and I think it's important that we we make note of that because he's not somebody who's just going to hope, right? Oh, we're just going to throw it out there. We're just going to plop it out there. Nope, that's not going to happen with Vic Fangio. He's going to be prepared. Now, speaking of plopping it out there and expecting it to perform, we are going to have to let these ads plop it out there and expect it to, to perform for just a moment. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Okay, we're back. I think those ads plopped it out quite well. It was one ad. I don't was, know if they performed. They, but... they plop, it was plopped out. It was, it was plopped out. It was there. I hope you enjoyed it. They didn't sneak it in there. No, I, I did sneak. I snuck, I snuck that one in. I was, I was pretty proud of myself on that, actually, because I thought, oh, I have to say this. I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Total, to, totally got it in there. So is there, speaking of sneaking it in, Uh-oh. is there a way that John Elway could sneak in a selection of Kyler Murray? That's a that's what we call a pivot. I like that. That's a pivot, right? Is that what we're doing? We're pivoting? Pivot. It would be easy to sneak in Kyler Murray since he's like five foot tall. Is he, I, he's, you know, he's sort of reminds me of um, the uh, short person. Um <laughs> Yeah, I. You know, it's interesting. We have we have been talking about Kyler Murray, you and I, and Brandon Quinn. Who uh, shout Brandon, out to Brandon? Little, little shout out to Brandon there. Who, um, you know, you may you may remember he's been on the show uh, once. We'll have to have him back on. He's uh, he's he's an actor. He's been on Entourage. He was on The Fosters. Um, if, if you ask my thirteen and fourteen year old students uh, if they know who he is, they absolutely do. At least the girls do, uh, and they are jealous of me because I know him. But here's what and I and he's blocked by John Elway. And John Elway blocked him. I'm not sure why. Now maybe this is why. Um, the the conversation sort of turned to. Kyler Murray's ability to sort of dictate where he goes. And the, and the question becomes, and this is something that I want to talk about, is Kyler Murray the next John Elway? 
And when I ask that question, I know that the the initial response from from people listening is that's a ridiculous comparison. John Elway and Kyler Murray are completely different quarterbacks, but that's not what I'm talking about. If you look at Kyler Murray and you look at John Elway and you look at the way that they are entered the draft or are entering the draft, is Kyler Murray the next John Elway? And I am ignoring the Eli Manning effect of simply saying, I don't want to play for San Diego when they were in San Diego and being traded to the Giants. And that's where my argument was throughout our little back and forth is that I made the comparison to John Elway. And there are some out there who might view Kyler Murray like Terry Bradshaw did in the early 80s about John Elway being entitled. I mean, John Elway was the first player to dictate what he was going to do in the draft. He made it abundantly clear that he was not going to play for the Baltimore Colts. And if the Baltimore Colts drafted him, he was going to play for the Yankees. And Elway wanted to play on the West Coast. So the narrative started to come out that this this spoiled punk kid from California doesn't want to play in the cold, just wants to stay on the left coast, wants to surf and not focus on football. Now you're getting kind of the same thing with Kyler Murray. And I, I haven't really seen anyone say that he's entitled like they did with, with Elway. I, I haven't paid enough attention to it. Maybe they have been saying it. I don't know. But it, it is interesting that maybe there's that connection there that Elway can relate to and appreciating that. Because Elway has said, he told Ryan Konisberg with BSN at the Senior Bowl, that he's athletic, he can get out of the pocket, he can do things. He told Ryan that he hasn't really been able to, to get into him and dive deep into what he's like as a player. And I think Elway will hopefully do that. But I, I think you can you can see the possible dot connecting that Elway could appreciate the athleticism, the two-sport aspect of it, but also wanting to control where you end up and what you do. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, though. I think, you know, when you're making the comparison, and, and this is something that I, that I wanted to bring up, uh, I think that the comparison sort of stops at the idea that they are two-sport athletes. And... The reason for that is that John Elway was such a surefire thing as a as a as a quarterback, as a prospect, that you knew or everybody knew or everybody said he's going to go to the NFL and he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. And and then obviously we have the ability to look back and say, well, that was correct. But what people forget is that John Elway was penciled in by George Steinbrenner as the starting right fielder for the Yankees in 1984. If John Elway had selected baseball over football, he would have been playing for the Yankees in, in, in short order. He was already on the list. And it's if it's interesting to note that his sense of entitlement really came from this notion that if he didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts, he didn't have to. Now, I think that's where the difference comes in. I think with, with Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray had a contract with the A's but I don't think he's a surefire thing in either sport. 
And, th- and that's where the difference comes in. I don't think that Kyler Murray is considered by many scouts a surefire starting quarterback in the NFL. And I know that if you look at you know where he was drafted in baseball and the signing bonus that he received from the A's, that he has a, you know he has the prospect right. He has the you know sort of that he's got something right that that people want. But baseball is is much less of a guarantee than even football is. And so I don't think he has the leverage that John Elway had. John Elway had the leverage to be able to come in and say, look, if I don't get what I want, I don't have to stay here. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to walk away. I can't imagine Kyler Murray being able to come in and say that. I can't imagine him being able to come in and say, uh, you know, if I don't get drafted by the team that I want to get drafted by, I'm going to go play for the A's. Partly because he's paying back the signing bonus that the A's gave to him so he can go be a quarterback in the NFL. Now, I hope he's successful. I hope he's doing what he loves to do. I think that's why he's choosing football. And, you know, I don't know that I can really get into his skill set. Uh, I know Brandon was was telling us he was going to pound the table for Kyler Murray, which uh, after last year's Baker Mayfield episode, I don't know that I'm going to pound the table for anybody anymore. I just can't. I just, my little heart can't take it. You know what I'm saying? But it's an interesting comparison. Kyler Murray could really probably look at what John Elway did in that 1983 draft and, and maybe take a few cues from him. But George Steinbrenner hasn't penciled him in to start for the Yankees, if you understand what I'm saying here. And I think what is interesting about all of this is there's a reason he made the switch to football. So that tells me he's gotten an assurance from at least one team that he will be drafted by them. So you know he's going in the top, what, 10, 15 picks? I would say at least 10. You know, and and it's interesting. If you want to break it down into money, the $5 million that uh, the A's gave him as a signing bonus that he's paying back, which means he's probably going to be in the hole a little bit because he probably had to pay taxes on that. Um He'll recoup that pretty quickly if he's signed in the top ten, if he's drafted in the top ten of the NFL. And it's it's interesting. I think that if you look at baseball, baseball has more money for guaranteed contracts for players long term who make it to the to the majors and are successful and and have good careers. But short term is is a safer bet when it comes to football. Right in the NFL, you're drafted and you're going to get a contract and you're going to get a signing bonus. And you're going to find out in the first you know, few years whether or not you're going to be successful or you're going to make it on the team and you're going to do this, you're going to do that. It's great, uh, especially when you're a first-round draft pick, especially when you're a high first-round draft pick. And I, I think that as, as much as some people look at this and say, well, this is him gambling on his ability to play quarterback in the NFL, it's, it's not a bad gamble. It's actually a, pr- a pretty safe bet money-wise for Kyler Murray. And so I, th- I think he's making the right choice just in uh, the fact that if he finds out in two years he's not good at, at football because he's not big enough, he could probably go play baseball. He could probably go sign with the team and work his way through the minors and become a, a, a player if he's really going to be good enough in the majors. So back to my question, does Elway draft Kyler Murray? No. No, and, and, and the reason for that is that I think Elway has shown uh, what that what he wants in a quarterback is very specific. He wants a certain size. He wants a certain arm strength. He wants a certain ability. 
I think that, as we've said on the podcast before, he is sort of locked in on uh, on Drew Locke. That, that doesn't mean that it can't change. That doesn't mean that Kyler Murray doesn't show up at um, you know show up at the combine and just wow everybody. But I also think at ten, uh, you know, if they want to draft Kyler Murray, they're probably going to have to trade up. You know, you just said you think he goes in the top ten. Well, if he goes in the top ten, if he's there at ten, yeah, I suppose the Broncos might take a flyer on him. But I think that from what you have said and from some of the things that you know are out there, he maybe goes earlier than that. And if he goes earlier, I don't see Elway trading up for Kyler Murray. I might be way off. I could be totally wrong on that. I just think that his history of drafting quarterbacks, which is abysmal, I get it, uh, would tell you that he, he's not he's not the guy that Elway is willing to take a chance on. The thing that allows us to ask this question is the coaching staff that is now in place for the Broncos. In the past, it was a 100% no because of who the coaches were. They didn't have the ability to mold their system to the players they brought in. Now it's the complete opposite. You finally have coaches who will mold their system to whoever it is they have. And that opens up all the possibilities of who you can draft. It allows you to not limit yourself. It doesn't It doesn't force you to pigeonhole and force a selection. And it's not just the coordinators. It's now all the position coaches. You now have the best offensive line coach in the NFL with Mike Munchak. You have the best defensive line coach in Bill Kolar. You have the best outside linebacker coach in Vic Fangio. You have... Probably one of the best, if not the best, secondary coaches in Ed Donatel. And I know that Donatel is the defensive coordinator, but he's also going to have a hand in the secondary because that's his specialty. Just ask Steve Atwater and Ray Crockett. On offense, you have Curtis Modkins with running backs. And obviously running back is not an issue. Same with receivers. You have one of the best tight end coaches in the NFL now. You just you just don't want to say Scangarello, do you? No, I can say Scangarello. Hey, there I, was it talking, is. I was talking more about the position coach. I, I know. I just was I just wanted to make sure you could still say his name. So I think there's two things that open up the possibility that John Elway evolves his thinking and potentially drafts Kyler Murray. Scangarello and TC McCartney. And okay. then the other aspect to, to that at least makes it a possibility is aside from the player Kyler Murray is, the excitement that it would bring in, what it would mean to the organization and the fan base, John Elway knows he has to, hate, has to nail this. He nailed his head coach. He cannot bomb another quarterback pick because he won't get an opportunity to pick another one. Well, and I think I think that's the point we've been making for several weeks now. Uh, you know, before Vic Fangio was hired, I th- the point that we were making was this is John Elway's last opportunity to hire a head coach and draft a quarterback. Because if he gets it wrong, he's gone. And if he gets it right, he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. You know what I'm saying? So if he gets it wrong, John Elway is done in, I would say, one or two years. If he gets it right, and I I think they'll actually give him two years with this head coach. If he gets it right, John Elway sits back for the next 10 years and has uh, 
his head coach and his and his quarterback of the future in place and and he's set and he can kind of and not that he would rest his on his laurels there, but he can sort of sit back and say, I'm safe in my job, and he can put together the team that he wants to put together. But the the point or the most important point here is that everything that he is doing right now, as far as picking the head coach and the coaching staff and and getting all that stuff put together and then drafting a player, this is really it, right? This is his last opportunity. There is no waiting until 2021 and Trevor Lawrence and Brock Purdy coming out uh, and hoping to get one of those guys because he won't be the one who's picking at that point. So that means everything needs to be on the table, every possibility, every player, and you have to go in with an open mind. Just like an open competition, go in with an open mind. Don't have any preconceived notion of who you're going to pick. You obviously know the traits. You know the players. You do your research on Kyler Murray, but you also do it on Jones. You also do it on Locke. You also do it on Haskins. Now when you get to the combine, not only do you interview them and not only do you get to see what they do on the field, but you start to put the pieces together on which way you're going to go. And then you bring them in for, for personal visits to the facility or you go to them. Either way, everything needs to be on the table. So at, my my argument for Kyler Murray is that Elway can't be a hard no. No, I think, I think it's a good argument. And I, I think you're absolutely right. He should not be a hard no on Kyler Murray. I just... You know, as as a you know as a history teacher, I know that history has a tendency to repeat itself, and past performance is the best indicator of what someone will do in the future. And I think that that's sort of the same thing with John Elway and picking quarterbacks. That his past is going to sort of give us a glimpse into the future here. And what the point that you're making is, he needs to break away from that past. And I think. I think everybody who's listening, the most of the people who are listening to this would say, whatever John Elway thinks he should do at quarterback, he should do the opposite of that. And, and I believe that what John Elway thinks he should do is pick Drew Locke at quarterback, and I think Kyler Murray is the opposite of that. So, I, so I'm not against Kyler Murray, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't think he should pick him. And In fact, I would tell you, I don't know enough about him to say whether they should or shouldn't pick him. What I do know is that if John Elway loves Drew Locke, I love Kyler Murray. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the best way to say that. I think the best thing for John Elway's thinking on a quarterback is to get new people into that room. Now you don't have Gary Kubiak who forced Trevor Simeon onto this fan base, who I think was a big reason Case Keenum is now the quarterback of this team. Now with Kubiak in Minnesota with his boy Trevor Simeon, you got fresh eyes now with Scangarello and TC McCartney, but also Vic Fangio. What if Vic Fangio loves Kyler Murray? I, I think that's a, I, I that'll, think that'll really be an interesting moment. I, I think, but the big thing is, I think he's shown in the past that he's kind of deviated from that tall, big arm, goofy quarterback because he didn't like Josh Allen. He could have drafted Josh Allen. He could have traded down with Buffalo. He didn't like Josh Allen. So that's a little bit of hope. 
I think he liked Baker Mayfield, but I think he knew Baker was going to go number one to the Browns. So there is there is pieces here. The hope is that now with new people in that room to help him evolve, hopefully everything is on the table. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always... Go Broncos!